0: You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, A Tribe of Friendly Slaves, based on 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23 For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Everybody needs someone to model themselves after. Everyone needs heroes. Everyone needs someone to copy, and everyone needs coaches. Now, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your line of work is. Um, if you're not finding someone to teach you more, how to do it better, either directly watching you and talking to you, or you're just watching them and copying them, you're missing an opportunity to really improve. No one gets to the point except Jesus where he can say, I got this. I'm as good as I need to be. So when I was a new pastor, I was 33 years old, and for me, I had to pick some people. Um, and uh, one of them, I think the gold standard is John Piper. Um, he, he, a lot of people know him, but there's a, a reason why. And Bethlehem Baptist Church in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so when I was a new preacher. Maybe a year in, I took a, 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 a guy in my church who's today a pastor in Maryland, Pastor Keith, and uh, we went to the Bethlehem Baptist Pastors Conference. I think I'm going to go to the heart of this thing and get some love from John Piper and whoever the other guys he calls. And there was another guy who really has become a good influence on me named Al Mohler, and he taught. And, and there was another guy named... Uh, who is from Romania named Tson, T-S-O-N, and he really impacted me. And it was a great conference to learn from these guys. However, what I didn't expect was that the bigger impact came from the church. That, now, if you go to Bethlehem Baptist Pastors Conference today, it's not the same. It's still good, but it became so big that they had to move it to the convention center. And I think, personally for me, they lost 50% of what made it good, because they were no longer on the home field of that church. Everywhere, they packed every bit of that church, used every bit, every hallway, kind of like Harvest Churches. Every one of our campuses, as you know, if you're here regularly, and by here I mean any one of our campuses, you know we use every bit, we use all the parking lot, we use all, we use the hallways, we use the bathrooms, the kitchens, the, every room. We just, and that's a good thing, right? And they used every bit upstairs, downstairs, their library, every, to manage all these men in their khakis and button ups. <laughs> it was the 90s, no one had moved on to jeans yet, except yours truly. <laughs> And what blew me away was everywhere I went, there were Bethlehem Baptist people smiling at me with a genuine love. It wasn't just 20 people trudging up the hill because, doggone it, we're the only ones who volunteer in this church. They were people who you knew. They couldn't all be faking this. They just loved us, and they were kind to us, and they smiled at us, and they served us. And when I went home, yeah, I had all my... Heroes, teachers in my head, but I went home thinking, I want to help build a people like those people, who for the glory and joy of God, treat guests like gold. So on Friday night, I am loving Friday night service. If you you may come anytime you want, well, almost any time um, to the Friday night. service. So if you, you really have to come at seven, that's <laughs> not <me>, any time. <laughs> Come at like eleven there 's no service it 's your business over oh, but you can come and stand outside the door and pray at eleven if you want but it's if you come at seven i am i 'm just so jazzed. I did not know I would enjoy Friday night church as much as i 'm enjoying Friday night church. but this Friday, I was walking around and it hit me these the, the, i 'm getting I feel my energy going up I feel my adrenaline pumping. Because the people with the safety team shirts and the children's ministry people and the person greeting and the person at the door, the person hugging, and there is one particular person at the Catanian campus who will, you if you don't want to hug, it's okay, but you've got to give this guy a sign. <laughs> I think it should be this, because that's, don't hug me, it's Okay. But everywhere I went, I saw people loving people as they walked in the door and loving each other. And then I thought, you know what? I've been to all the campuses at Harvest, and I always see this. I am just tickled pink to see brothers and sisters of God who, you know, um, the word sacrifice can be used, but I don't like that word. Because it makes it sound, I mean, I do like that word, but in this context, it makes it sound like you don't want to do it. I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing people who know I want to serve God any way I can, and I want joy, and somehow connecting the fact that in order to serve God with joy, it is how I treat this person in front of me. And it just jazzes me. It just makes me so happy. And uh, it's a good thing. And it just so happens that that all hit me right before I got to preach this sermon, which I'm going to preach again, so let's look at our Bible at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. 1 Corinthians 9 is our text. If you have your Bible, please open it to 1 Corinthians 9. I've been uh, listening to a lot of sermons on podcast lately, and and I think that's a good habit for everybody, by the way. There's so many good ones, provided you're listening to good sermons, and I'm just searching terms and listening to whatever pastors pop up and seeing, because I'm looking for some just to hear them. God has many people teaching, and I want to hear them. And, and so if you, you want to have some fun, just go and put in the word harvest and church in your iTunes and see how many podcasts you get. The answer is like a million. This is a very common name for a church. Or put in the word river or cornerstone. Um, you will get tons to listen to. And I'd like to say that they're all encouraging, but they're not. But the ones that are the most encouraging are the ones where the preacher seems to remember that the Bible is the, is the loudest voice in the room. And that's why, Christians, make sure you bring your Bible. You may say, why? I, I, Listen, some weeks you're going to just listen to the verse, I got this, but other weeks you're going to need to dig in and remember what that thing says. And you want that Bible to be a familiar tool? It is your food all week long. It is your joy. And in an electronic age, there's nothing wrong with an electronic Bible. And there's nothing wrong with paper Bibles. I don't care if you got a hieroglyphic Bible as long as it's accurately translated. (laughs) So let's open to 1 Corinthians. And if you say, well, I'm new to this stuff. I don't have a Bible. We will give you one. But if you've got a smartphone, you can have one for free right now. Just download it. You can download like 100 of them. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Now, Paul, this is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We're not going to go into the details on the Corinthians. Where we are is we're in the midst of, of discussing harvest. We exist to increase the health and size in God's church everywhere. And over the next two years, we would like God to bless us with more People getting saved, and we want to focus on what you could call the fundamentals. Now, when you say fundamental in a religious sense, people get a little worried. (laughs) I'm not talking about some kind of extreme fundamentalism. I am saying that like, if you go watch a sport and you see a team that's that's starting, that was good, and is going under what they do, uh, they're just not playing well enough. The wise coach always says, let's check the fundamentals first. I remember when we practiced this in the spring, we said how to square yourself up with the ball and put your knee down and make sure that the ball hits you if it doesn't hit your glove. We taught you how to square up to the basket with your shoulders and to shoot from your legs. We taught you the fundamentals, where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do. And if you you don't focus on that, your team's not going to be any good. And it's the same with us Christians. So for two years, we're not introducing anything new, but we want to, for two years, focus hard on the fundamentals, and that is prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and stewardship. Fundamentals to being a Christian, every one of them. And we're uh, in evangelism number three, but these sermons are just the tip of the iceberg. We're not going to preach the sermons and forget. This is our focus. So this one's on evangelism, and I think you'll see why as we read. Ready? 19 to 23. For though, Paul says, I am free of all men, I have made myself a servant to all. There's a contrast. I am free, but I made myself a servant. Why? That I might win more. So I am strategically living my life in such a way to win non-believers into the church. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. He's talking about dietary laws, dress, haircuts, all that stuff. When I'm hanging with the Jews, I don't have BLTs. I don't eat pork chops because they get all offended. I'm free to eat a pork chop, he would say. But I'm not going to do it with them. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, those are non-Jews, as one outside the law. And here he has to put in a parenthesis, I'm not saying that I'm, I go and sin in any way the Gentiles do. His point was dietary laws and whatnot. Um, if they eat a pork chop, I have a pork chop. And he probably likes... Witnessing and spending time with with non Jews so he can eat more bacon. Who doesn't like more bacon? I mean, it's not the main reason you get saved, but if you're an Orthodox Jew, this has got to be one of the big benefits. Shrimp and bacon enter into your diet. But he says, not being outside the law of God. He says, I'm not turning in, I'm not saying sin's okay. I'm under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I become weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, I really don't want to deal too much with his strategy of becoming all things to all people. And you say, why not? That seems to be the heart of the passage. It's one of the hearts of the passage. But you know what? One of the things we Americans are good at, and I mean this positively, is we like fixing problems. We're optimistic people. One good thing about Americans, and I'd say the best of us, I think too many of us are kind of going a victim mentality, waiting for someone else to save them. But most Americans, generally, we're taught, if there's a problem, you can fix it. Right, we we are taught to go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and bring the tartar sauce because you expect success. So when I say hey, we could talk about how he becomes all things to all people. We love that stuff. That's strategy. How can I reach the rappers? You know, how can I reach? uh, You know, I'll. I'll, I'll learn to rap and break dance. Me. I'm gonna do that and then reach them, you know. And how can I reach the businessman? Well, I'll I'll keep my businessman stuff on. And how can I reach the the herding? And how can I reach them? Well, I gotta get down to their level. We're into that. That's easy stuff. We got all kinds of ministries in America that we got biker churches, because we're gonna become all things to all people. You know, we got there's even a ministry called Cows for Christ. I have no idea what they do. <laughs> I'm sure they're not witnessing to cows, but somehow they're becoming all things to all people so some might be saved. We're good at that part. But there's a couple other elements here that I think it would probably be good for us to focus on. First is the philosophy that Paul brings to his life. He's actually sharing with us. He's a mentor. He's a leader teaching us his philosophy. This is how I think. And not just here. If you were to read all of chapter 9 and even before and after, you'd see he's sharing. This is how I go about ministry and this is why I go about it. So let's look briefly at his philosophy. It's summed up mostly in verse 23. I do all for the sake of the gospel gospel. My, my unifying vision, my, my number one goal is this thing called the gospel. What is the gospel? It is a message. It means good news. This good news, I believe, is so important to get to everyone in the world that everything I do is to get this message, to move words from here to there. That's all I ever want to do is move words because these aren't normal words. These are words that have the power to make a dead soul come to life. To free people from, from hell and put them in heaven. To transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. These are important words. So everything I do. So that's his, his, his unifying principle. Paul, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to do all for the sake of the gospel. It doesn't matter what you catch him doing that day. Now, does this mean that Paul is merely an evangelist? I want you to put on your strategic thinking hat right now, because we don't always have to think strategically in ministry terms, but think about it. Is he just saying I'm, he's merely an evangelist? Now, evangelist is an important person, but evangelists, generally, they are hit-and-run drivers. <laughs> well, that's kind of a negative, not good. They're like Santa. They just show up, drop off stuff, and they take off, and you don't see them for a year. That's a little better, Right? Um, Billy Graham is an evangelist. He's not a pastor, right? And that's okay. He comes to the town. He calls the pastors together. He says, I'm going to put up a tent. That was the old days. I'm going to fill up a stadium with people. And I'm going to give them little cards. And I'm going to get their phone number. And I'm going to give them to you. And after I get them saved, you get them to your church and do the work. He's like a fisherman, the lady. It's like the lazy fisherman. I catch a fish, you gotta clean them. (laughs) So, but it's a good thing. I love evangelists, evangelists who people just, they just do that. Is that Paul? Because if he does all things for the sake of the gospel, then he's an evangelist. But that wouldn't be seeing what he teaches by example and all through the scriptures. You see, let's look at Paul from the big picture. We already know, don't let this go, hold on to this. We already know that the unifying Message, the the force that drives him as he does everything for the sake of the gospel to get a message of words to the world. However, when we look at Paul, what you must see, what we have to see, is that he's the first and greatest missionary and church planner. There were the Jews, and they knew a Savior came, at least a portion of them did. But the rest of the world was in darkness. There was no church. So it was Paul. Who took, he never went alone. He always took brothers to work with him. Good principle to copy there. But he, he said, let's go here and let's go there and let's be strategic about this. Let's go to Greece. Let's, I'd love to go to Spain. I want to go to Rome. Let's go all over the world and bring this message. That's a missionary going to where the word has never been. But he didn't just do mission work. He planted churches. He wasn't an evangelist who's the gospel. Okay, you're saved. Good. And then he's out of there. No, he went to where no church existed. Here's the progression. Here's how it works. He would preach. Preaching is like, think of it, the Bible teaches us, like throwing seed all over the place. The good farmer does not throw seed all over the place. He just throws it where he wants it to grow. But that's not exactly the same as what we see here. You throw it everywhere because you never know where it's going to land. Okay? So he's preaching the gospel, and he looks wherever he sees growth. He says, that's God's growth. And so that growth means people getting saved, people coming to Christ, people converting. And then he gathers those people together who believe the message. That gathering has another name. We call it the... That's right. Let's let's get that one together, all right, because this is important. The gathering, we call it the... It's very important. The word church means gathering. It means assembly, right? So... You bring them together. Build a community. And then he'd take those communities, and one, two, or three years, as much as he could, he would teach them day and night the scriptures. He was the guy who had to get it done, him and his buddies And he brought other guys that he'd trained, and they would teach, 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 trying to do what Jesus said, teach them to observe all I've commanded you, to make sure they had good doctrine, good understanding of what is true, right, and good. And when he was done, he would raise up and appoint leaders, or elders, or bishops, whatever you want to call them, pastors. And he'd say, now you guys have to do the work I started. You go get more folks, you train more folks, and you care for these people. And then he moved on and did the same thing somewhere else. However, he kept a very close connection to every church he planted. He followed up. He wrote them letters. And his number one concern after he planted a church was, you might be tempted to say the gospel, it was. That's his unifying principle. But no, it's better to say here, church health. He was obsessed with church health. How do I know? It's two words, New Testament. The New Testament, most of the letters, or what we call books, they're really letters, in the New Testament are letters Paul wrote to churches to make sure they were healthy. It wasn't most of the words in the New Testament. Luke gets that honor just for writing Luke and Acts, two very long books. But it was most of the letters in the New Testament were written by Paul to churches to solve their problems, to encourage them on, to cause them to be healthy. So he didn't just ditch them. And he would often in the letter say, and if I can, I'm going to come visit you and make sure you're getting this stuff right. In fact, 1 Corinthians was, <laughs> whoo, that was a rough case. If you're a doctor, this is the sickest, most beat up person ever walked in your office. That was a sorry church as far as behavior goes. And if you don't believe it, read 1 Corinthians but he loved the church and he wanted them healthy. He didn't say, I did the job, I evangelized. Right? So, what a principle I'd like us to gather here, and you can write this in your notes, it's not in one of your underlines, is there's no separation between evangelism and church health. The two are married. It's not one or the other. Not in Paul's world. Likewise, another thing we need to get about Paul is that he presented Christianity as a movement, not as a static institution. And that might be, you might be saying, what are you talking about? Look, here, we just take for granted things we see are what we think they are. If I say church, everyone says, well, I know what a church is. Why? Because you grew up in America and you know what churches are. But if I ask you, what is it? For some, it's a building. For most, it's a building. For some, it's a building and the people inside. For some, it's just the people inside. If I say, what do churches do? You get all kinds of answers. Why do they exist? All kinds of answers. We don't have time today to unpack everything a church is. However, one thing we can see from Paul that he definitely thought it was was a movement, not a static institution. When I was a brand new pastor, before I went to my very first pastorate, I was 33 years old the first time I was a pastor. 33. 33. Um, so think about that. Jesus died on a cross when he was 33. He had finished all he had to do by 33. I was just starting out. I'm a slow learner. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to gather everything I can and, and figure everything out. So I call every leader in the church that I'm, that's called me, even before I, I worked for them, for day one, and I ask every one of those men who are the official leaders of that church, what is the optimal size of a church? Most of them thought... Around the size that church already was, but perhaps another 10 or 20 more, just so more work can get done because we're getting tired. So what they were showing me was their mentality was a church is just this static little club where we all kind of just enjoy each other. And as long as there's enough people to get the work done, that's big enough. And I knew I had my work cut out for me because I, that's not the way, that's not it. It, the church is a movement. In other words, there's no way we can read the book of Acts and see what Paul did or read the New Testament and listen to the words of Jesus and not see that we are to continually permeate society. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a woman who takes a lump of dough and puts in a little bit of yeast and she works it till it's through all the dough. Okay, that's, that's the kingdom of God. There's this is aggression. You see, you put something small in till it, It infects the whole thing. We're the infection. (laughs) We're the infection of the world. But it means a continual pushing out, a a continual... Churches die when they stop thinking outwards, which is why they always die at their peak. And no one knows it, because everyone's so active. We have so many things we can do at my church. But eventually... Give it time. You will see the death. There will be, it will it'll come a day when there's 20 frightened people, mostly with gray and blue hair, saying, I remember the good old days. I hope the, that we can get a pastor to at least give us attention, and if he does, I hope he'll play a song I understand. And then that person has to chaplain those people all into heaven, and then there's no one left but a building. It happens all the time. Why? Not because of that generation. Because generations before, they forgot they're a movement. We're to be aggressive. Not aggressive like kill you. But just, we are more aggressive than Muslim jihadists. We're just not going to kill you to get our job done. We are. We really are. They got to think and plan and then go blow something up. And normally they have to kill their own dude to blow something up. You can only do that so many times. Then you got to raise up other dudes. We are constant. we got an internet. I can preach a gospel through this. Radio, I can preach a gospel through that. Heck, I'll write them letters. Smoke signals, sure, I'll do that. We can sneak in over here. We can sneak in over there. We can march in over here. We can march in over there. Look at China. There's some Chinese demographer, somebody who said something like, I don't know if I got the stat right, but he said something like, China will have more Christians than all nations combined in 15 years or something like that. Well, that's really cool, except for when the commies shut down China decades ago, there was not even 1% of the population Christian. And they made it illegal to be a Christian, unless you went through the state church, which wasn't really Christian. And now, it is the largest Christian nation on the earth. Oppressed. You can't stop us, baby. We're like MC Hammer. Wait, you guys wouldn't know that. Thank you, old people would. <laughs> you see, if the gospel is your unifying theme, the outward focus can never go away. If your outward focus goes away, the gospel has stopped being your unifying theme. And the, the gospel and the preaching of the gospel is not at war with church health, they're married, right? Our mission here is to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. It could be we're here to increase the health of God's church and leave it at that. But we know our human tendency to just protect what we have and not grow. So we made sure we put the words size and everywhere. Those two words strategically placed unnecessarily into that motto. So we would not get lazy and forget why we exist on earth. Words of the Master, and that's not Paul, that's Jesus. And this gospel, the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Are we at the end? I don't know. People always want to know. I don't know. But we're one year closer than we were a year ago, and what I do know. Is that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, will be pushed out into every nation in some sense before the end comes. Who's going to do the pushing? It ain't angels. When's the last time you saw an angel fly down from heaven and preach a gospel? It's not. It's going to be people, slobs like us. And that's God's, that's Jesus' plan. And if churches won't do it, he'll raise up new churches. Church leaders there won't do it. He'll raise up new leaders. And all the existing leaders will get mad at him and yell at them and say they're a cult. But he's going to do what he's going to do because he's God. And Jesus said, this is going to happen. The very last words recorded by our master, our boss. We call Jesus, we give him a title that starts with an L. Can everyone remember what it is? What was that? Now, if you had to write down a definition of Lord, what do you think it would be? This is the boss. The very last words we have from him on earth. Whereby you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's a promise to empower us with God's godness in our heart. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, hometown of Jews, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's his last. And then he took off. Okay, I'm out of here. He's gone. He really did say, Okay, I'm out of here, but they didn't write that part down. That was the last. See ya. That was his last word. So let's write down a note here. In order to be a healthy and properly functioning church, we, like Paul, must do all for the sake of the gospel. We want to copy Paul. He's, he's our model here. We must never forget... That we are part of a movement, not a local exclusive club. There are churches these days that take pride in their smallness. And I am for small churches. I'm for large churches. I'm for house churches. I'm for mega churches. I don't care the size of the church. I care the guts. Right? If they got the right gospel, and they got people trying to obey Jesus and live in community, that's good. But if they're doing that, they're going to have an outward push. Because you can't be healthy and not have that. Some people are like, well, we know it's just us and our doctrine's right. And all those other Christians ain't going to come here and tell us how to do doctrine because they're all watered down. Try to visit one of those churches. We don't want to be that. Paul voluntarily becomes a servant of all people. Um, We need to... uh, Okay, I'm leaving behind the philosophical ministry part. I want to move to the practical part, all right? I've got to tell you what I'm doing. I am the preaching. I can remember my job. So with that last thing we filled out, saying in order to be a healthy that was our philosophical thing we we're grabbing from Paul and his life. Now we want to move to the pragmatic, the practical, what to do. And, and I think we have to look at how Paul identifies himself, and Paul voluntarily becomes a servant to all people. I think that's the part to focus on. Not that I come all things to all people that some might be saved. Yes and amen to that. I think we get that though. I think we get that really fast. But the part we may not get so fast (laughs) is that he voluntarily becomes a servant to all people. Now, Let's be clear, he starts out saying, I become a servant of all. But he does start but with his freedom. So let's start where he starts. Paul asserts first his freedom, and he's correct to do so. When you become a Christian, freedom. I could, we could do a million sermons on freedom, the freedom that Christ gives. But let me just highlight a few ways that Paul is free. First, he's free from death. Jesus said... In John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, watch how Jesus says this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Well, I'm gonna die one day. I'm gonna die one day. Can I tell you something, Christian? You're not. Well, is my spirit gonna leave my body? Well, yeah, that'll happen. Isn't that death? Well, in a way. But you're, look okay, at you, you have Alzheimer's and you're fading away. Darkness is in your brain, but you're still alive. The moment your spirit leaves your body, boom. There's not a, like a few seconds of death in the middle. How do I know that? Jesus made this promise. Though he believes, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That means you are freed from death. The grave can no longer hang, uh, um, um, hang you as good. I was going to try to say another word, but forget fixing that sentence. Let's move on to the next. <laughs> the grave has no power over you. The Bible even says so. Oh, death, where is your sting? It says about the end times that God throws death itself into hell. It says there will be no more death. It, and the ramifications of that are all your health problems today are small. You might say, no, they're big. They hurt. Yeah, it hurts here, but it doesn't hurt long because pretty soon you'll be dead. That's your good news right there. If you're sitting here saying, man, I'm so worried that I'm going to get sick and die. I got great news for you. You're going to get sick and die. But it ain't nothing because you get a new body and your spirit will not experience death if you know Christ. You're free. Even if you're locked up, you're free. Even if you're locked up in a body that doesn't move, you're free from death and sickness. Fear of death, also fear of guilt. You know, guilt, it can be a good thing if God puts it on you, but he only puts it on you so he can take it away, just so you can see your sin. you got to sometimes feel guilty to know you did something wrong. you got to admit it. But after that, he says, now that, do you admit it? Yeah, okay, look, the cross of Christ, Jesus shed his blood, to take away, you're free of guilt. <laughs> For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus, because you're a good boy or girl. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, no guilt. Free of punishment. You might say, Well, I don't feel free of punishment. Okay, who am I gonna trust? Who are you gonna trust? Your feelings of feeling condemned? Or John three seventeen. You know, whenever it's a choice between my feelings and the Bible, I've been trained to say my feelings must be off base. Is that good news? Can you say amen if you think that's good news? You're also free from your past, from your regrets. Regret is, regret, we all have regrets. I don't like regrets. There was, they retired the most, what they, the most amazing man in the world. He's been retired, right? Was that what they called the most amazing man in the world? The Dos Equis guy? Most interesting man in the world. They retired him. I don't know if you guys knew that. Some of you don't know the commercial. You don't watch enough sports. It's not my fault. Repent of that. <laughs> But if you watch enough sports, you'd know the, the most interesting man in the world because these commercials are all over the place. He's the most. And so, it, it, I don't know if any of you saw uh, the last commercial. Anyone see the last commercial? You know it was because not, not many of you. Okay. They put him in a rocket ship and they just flew him off. Nobody even knows where. Like some other planet where he can be the most interesting man there. <laughs> so, the last moniker for the most interesting man in the world was my only regret is I've never done anything I regret. Well, that's funny, but it's a lie. Everybody looks back and goes, dang, I wish I could do that again. Do over? Nope. And sometimes you hurt people you can't unhurt. Romans 6, 6 and 7, we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been, what? Set free from sin. That means my regret, as well as the power of sin over me, is broken. Oh, you want to fight your emotions? Fight it on this one. What do you mean the power of sin is broken? This is a matter of faith. you got to believe it before you walk in it. you got to believe it before you get it. But there it is. There's a lot of Christians believing the devil's lie. I've got to keep doing this sin that I can't stop doing because I can't not do it. And then they pull up Romans seven and quote it to you, and say, "Well, even Paul. Well, here's Paul, the one who's died has been set free. But you've got to believe it before it works. But whether you get victory over that or not, if you're a Christian, you're free. You're free." I'm crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ lives in me and the life I live in the flesh I live how by anyone know the next word faith we made mistakes but the Lord can clean it up I could go on but time prohibits the point is Paul is free of all men and he knows it he knows it nobody he can say, you ain't the boss of me, to the Jews. He can say, you ain't the boss of me, to the Romans. Nobody can tell him what to do. But then he says, though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He's <laughs> He only has one focus. I want to get the gospel out to everybody. And so in order to get that done, what if, Paul, the way to get the gospel, to everyone, you had to enslave yourself. You say, it doesn't say enslave. He said, I made myself a servant. Well, that's a nice way to translate it. So let's break down some Greek. Endulosa. <laughs> it's a verb. It's past tense. And it means, first person, I have enslaved. So That's what it means. So he's not really saying, I've made myself a servant. That's just a nice way we would put it. He is saying, I have enslaved myself. This is the same guy who says, don't submit any longer to the yoke of slavery. <laughs> we talking about two different things. He says, when it comes to the gospel, my practical strategy is to view every human person as someone that I am a slave to. But it's voluntary. They can't make me do anything. I choose. Beautiful picture of submission. In another place, Paul says this. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. There's a, a category of people in Paul's mind that he called the foolish. <laughs> Which means He's probably coming to my house, right? Okay, I'll enslave myself even to these yo-yos. I mean... <laughs> I'm under obligation. That means I'm making myself in debt. I owe them, he's saying. I owe everybody. I owe everybody by my choice. I'm free of all men, but I owe everybody. Why? Because I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm all about the gospel. Why? Because I am not ashamed of these words. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I am not, I make myself a slave to anyone if it will get them the gospel. Because I'm not ashamed of this message. This message has the power to take a person dead in their trespasses and sins. And cause them to be made alive. They just got to hear it and believe it. He is a sincere and true servant. Okay, let's fill in a blank. At this point, we must recognize that if we are to fulfill the mission God has for us, we will need to adopt the same mentality as Paul. All right, this is, where gets, this is where it hits you, all right? Are you ready? You might be saying, he ain't talking to me. He's talking to missionaries. No, I'm coming right at you here. We must, each as individuals, choose... To be to enslave ourselves to all people, that some might be saved, we must embrace the voluntary role of servant of all, and that is the job of every believer. Now you may say at this point, "Wait a minute, Mike! Come on, that's Paul, Bible writer, Paul Big Shot, Paul. That's his job. We've got to be a servant once in a while, get the gospel out, and most time I need folks to respect me." love watching NFL draft. There's always at least one guy in the interview who says, I just want to show people I deserve respect. As soon as I hear that, I think, well, that's a young man talking. I hope he, he's going to get knocked down. God's going to knock him down. You don't deserve respect. At least you shouldn't say you deserve respect. Let God say that. Let other people praise you. You like, well, I don't want to be like Paul. Well, do you want to be like Jesus? Ooh, loaded question, I know. I'm sorry. It wasn't fair. We need to, ready, recognize that we are really following Jesus when we imitate Paul's example of being a slave. We imitate Paul because Paul imitated Jesus. He, Paul's just so smart, he formalized it into his ph- philosophical ministry statement. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, but whoever would be great among you, among you mean in our gang, the Christian gang, church, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your, in case you didn't hear him the first time, Slave even if the son of man even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for money, many and there is our example, Jesus. the gospel itself is the description of an act of someone who had infinite wealth, infinite power, infinite dignity, is the only one, the Bible says, worthy of praise and honor forever and ever. The only one who, when he is in heaven, all the angels stop what they're doing and say, holy, 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 the only one from which heaven and earth flee took on a little teeny tiny human body with cells that degenerate so that he could come and visit little tiny creatures that he made who would misunderstand him misuse him constantly selfishly come to him and then eventually beat him and kill him and he would die so that he could be a servant to every one of them even when dying father forgive them they don't know what they're doing for the sake of the gospel. That's your example. One of the biggest problems a church can have is when we all start wanting everyone to treat us so well. You might say, well, Mike, I thought you said we're supposed to treat each other. We are. (laughs) Do you see the difference between those two statements? We are supposed to treat each other so well. But to walk around demanding that you're treated so well not the same thing. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to love me like a servant. Okay. Wash my car. <laughs> no, it means, well, so I said, wash your car. Well, really, the gospel is what it's about. See, Jesus washed our feet. The gospel, a ransom for many. What's that mean? We were enslaved to sin, and Satan owned our soul, and hell was our destiny, and he, what is the price to buy my soul back? The innocent blood of the Son of God himself. That, that's what the ransom note said to heaven. Jesus said, I'll pay it. And he served us. He washed our feet. That was what he did the night that he was arrested. The next day he would die. He, 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 he freaked his followers out. He, he got down to a towel and he said, Give me that bowl. Let me wash your ugly, nasty feet. And he washed your ugly, nasty feet. And Peter did exactly what I think I would want to do. Are you out of your mind? Respectfully speaking. <laughs> a man washes his own feet. You're, di- you're dirty from the road with your open-toed sandals. You- a man washes his own feet. But if someone were to wash my feet for me, it should be someone who's far beneath me, not you. Paul, Peter said, you wash my feet? I said, no way. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, follow this. You have no place in me. Two, two halves to this. First half is this. Do you realize you cannot be saved? You sitting in this room any room, in any of our campuses. You cannot be saved unless you're willing to let the master of the universe wash your nasty feet. Does that humble you? It does me. It scares me. That's how it works. But then he said, do you know what I did for you? They're like, yeah, you washed our nasty feet. He said, what I did for you, you do for one another. And he wasn't talking about washing nasty feet. He was talking about making yourself low. Get low. Get low. Don't make others make you low. You get yourself low. The proud will be humbled by God. You don't want to be humbled. The wise listened to Peter, who had his feet washed, who said, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. He'll lift you up at the right time. Is that good news or what? It is so, I love the Bible. It is so weird to the world's way of thinking. In this world, the great people are the ones that most people bow to their will, copy them, cut their hair like they cut their hair, sing when their name is said. Those are the great ones, the generals, the masters, the leaders, the icons, the stars. Jesus said, that may be what those folks do. Here's what we do. You want to be great? You copy me. What did I do? I went low. Who's ready to go low? And then Paul takes that idea and puts it in the practical way he preaches the gospel. It's not beneath me to not have the freedom I have in Christ to eat my BLT if I'm preaching to Jews. I just won't eat the BLT. It's not beneath me to preach to these folks even though they beat me up he said, you can serve people, a lot of people will punch you for serving them. Love them, forgive them, don't be offended by them, stand at least one arm's length and a foot away from them next time. Paul says, that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. Why? Listen, he became a Jew to Jews, a Greek to Greeks, a slave to slave, a barbarian to barbarians because people don't listen to those who insist on being offensive to their customs and values. Everyone accidentally is going to be offensive to somebody. You have been, I have been. Heck, I've made a hobby of it, and I don't even do it on purpose. I guarantee you, my intentions ninety-nine percent of the time are just perfect. They're like, who's this idiot stepping on my flowers? But people don't listen to those who insist on being offensive to their customs and values. Well, that ain't us. Look at them. They can't even pull up their pants. Look, his butt's hanging out. Look, honey, his butt's <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, he's got them boxers. Yeah, his underwear. Ugh. That person's never going to listen to you. Now I ain't saying you got to go wear your pants down here and have your butt hanging out. But I guarantee if you insist, if you insist on tearing down their customs, You'll never get their ear. You're like, well, I don't want their ear. Okay, that's your flesh. Jesus wants their ear. Paul says, okay, I'll serve you. I ain't going to wear my pants down there, but what can I do for you, my friend? Who did he learn this from? He learned it from Jesus. Jesus. The son of God who humbled himself and befriended us. Look at Luke 7. What a great text. The son of man has come eating and drinking. Jesus is saying this about himself. And you say, he's talking to his enemies who hate him and picking on him. Look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors. A friend of sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He's saying in the long run, you're going to see I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. But he was a friend of sinners. Paul was copying Jesus. We must copy Paul. So, how then should we live? First, surrender all your rights to Jesus. We're not here on earth to be offended or to get the respect we deserve. That may not hit you right. It's because it's hitting you in your flesh. Let your flesh be dead on that cross and listen to Jesus. You're not here to be offended. But what if someone does me wrong? People, what if McFly? You know, what color is this guy in your world? Someone has done you wrong, more people will do you wrong, and guess what? When they look at you, some of them have a right to say, "And you did me wrong." People pulled the hair out of your savior's beard, spit in his face, insulted him every way you can insult him, stripped him naked in front of his mother, and nailed him to a tree, and he said, "Because he was there for them, and you forgive them." He didn't say, "I'm so offended." We're going to need a counseling session here. Get the pastor in here. We need mediation. If you want to be offended, some people make an industry in their life of being a victim and being offended by other people. We're not here for that. We offended Jesus with all our sin. He came and washed our feet and died and took it away. He killed us, put his new life in us, and he says, "Now go be like me, get out there." Jesus said this parable. Now he told a parable to those who were invited, and when he noticed how they chose places of honor at this feast, saying to them, "When you're invited to someone by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honor, L- lest someone more distinguished than you be invited." By him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. You will take the lowest place in shame when you are made to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and take the lowest place yourself. Ain't no shame in that one. (laughs) So when your host comes, he can say to your friend, Why don't you move up a couple chairs? then you will be honored in the presence of him who sits at the table with you. Now, he ain't talking, he's talking lifestyle, but he's talking big picture heaven. And you know it because he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be lifted up. And that is by God. We cannot complete God's mission and seek honor for ourselves as individuals. We must not demand that other people put us first. And that could be by virtue of our position. Christian bosses, with any authority over anyone, from teachers to parents to bosses to government figures, need to remember they're there to serve. And I don't, I'm not talking about your worldly, your worldly boss may tell you that, but no, because your, your, your other worldly boss told you that. You're not to f- demand others put you first by Manipulation. By politics, by competition, by force, or by victimization. People use victimization because we're all a bunch of victims in our culture. We're all victims. Someone broke us, you gotta fix us. We all got letters. Me, you put me in front of some social scientists, I got some letters, baby. There's people who aren't even social scientists saying, You got letters, dude. You got ADHD. I've definitely been called by people who get paid for it, You got OCD. I got A, B, C, D, E, F, G. (laughs) But you know what? All you're doing is classifying common ways I'm messed up like other messed up folks. But you know whose responsibility it is to manage this life with all those letters? It's not yours. It's mine. You see? Some people, I got these letters and you gotta suck up to me now. No, I don't. If you're a Christian, (laughs) you see, victimization is used as a club to beat folks. And it may not be with the letters. After all I've done for you, my children, this is the thanks I get. You're killing me, Mom. That ain't my mom, by the way. Let me move on. You get it. I'm I'm sitting on one spot. I got to move. Okay. We are the people of the cross. That means we are the least by choice. Christ is going to exalt us. He said he'll lift us up. He said he'll bless us forever. You will shine like the sun. You are a son or daughter of Jesus. One day, all the scores will be settled. Everything will be done. All that is right and true will happen. And you're going to have the higher place than you ever thought you imagined. Where God's going to seat you in heaven, you're going to say, I don't deserve this seat. He goes, I know. Heck, I don't even deserve a seat. I can see from where I am. I, I should be. I know. But you humbled yourself, and I exalted you. But on earth, we are least by choice. That is supposed to be our lifestyle. And if you don't think, when Jesus said, you got to take up your cross and die daily, you don't put those things together, you're never going to get this. Because every day I get up thinking, most important person in the world is the one I see in the mirror. And I'm going to tell myself every single person I see today, I need to serve. If I can serve them, I should, see my, I should define myself when I go into Walmart. <laughs> Cashier may not even look at me, may not treat me like a human. She may be talking to her friend on her phone. I'm here to serve you, sweetie. That's why God put me on the earth. And if I can lead to the gospel, lead it to the gospel. That's why I'm here. Got my new iPad on Craigslist. It's cheaper. I don't have all them guarantees, but it's a lot cheaper. So I'm going to meet this lady who I don't think she's ever sold anything on Craigslist. She is so afraid. She won't give me any data. Because cause you got this thing called the Craigslist killer, right? So <laughs> you get a middle-aged woman selling something on Craigslist. She's just certain I am, I could be the Craigslist killer. I finally meet her at Panera Bread, and I want to assure you people, I did not kill her, and I didn't want to kill her. I don't kill people. She brought her daughter... You know, if I'm the Craigslist killer, first tactical error, kill someone in Panera. It's just you're going to get caught. But second tactical error by her, what's your daughter going to do? Um, here's the money. Give me this. But well, I'm in a coffee shop. I'm thinking, I want to buy them coffee, but they show up late. Mm, blew that. Why do I want to buy them coffee? I just can't wait to buy folks coffee? Nah. I buy them coffee, I might be able to tell them the gospel. So instead, I just sat. I said, have a seat. We sat down. They bought their own coffee. And I got to serve them the way I wanted to serve them, by bringing them the most valuable thing in the world. And if they take it, they take it. If they don't, I can't help that. But that's why I was there, not to get this, although this rocks. (laughs) We overcome self-righteousness with friendship. Because that's really what Paul's talking about. When you become all things to all people, it means you're willing to go in the house with them and be their friend. Jesus was called a friend of sinners by his enemies, and that was supposed to be an insult. He said, you're not insulting me. You're all sinners. I came to be your friend. Okay, we end here. Now it's your turn to respond. If you're not a Christian, I ain't going to do a long begging thing. I would, but you heard it, and I'm out of words. If you're not a Christian, why not? Jesus is better than hell. God loves you. Time to jump in. The water's fine. But for you who are Christians, today, every single one of us who call ourselves Christians should be willing to make this commitment. Today, and from now on, I vow every day to see myself as a slave to every human I meet voluntarily. And if you're saying, I don't want to do that, you've got work to do in your heart. You have to, let's play, say it plainly, repent of your stubborn pride and sin. Some of you need to repent of it right now, so now's the time to do it. But even if you say, well, that's kind of what I want, thanks for the refresher, good, can you make a commitment again? Because I know with me it slips. Especially in my own family. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.